0: Good morning, Uh, welcome to those who I haven't met so far, I would um, like to um, invite you to join me later today, 5 o'clock in here, for a posture check-in. So this is something that is entirely voluntary. I've made a little note on the signboard and uh, would encourage you to attend. This consists of me looking basically at how you sit for 2-3 minutes and uh, feeding back what I see, which is not necessarily the truth, and may not even be helpful, but um, it is what I see. Posture is crucial, not because there is such a thing as a correct posture. Uh, I'm a firm be- firm believer that there isn't. Um, and yet we inhabit an embodied world, our, the way we hold our bodies. And what we constellate, both with bodily posture, also constellate mental worlds. It constellates emotional worlds. So sometimes it is helpful to actually get some outside perspective of what we feel doing, particularly if we know that just about anything we keep repeatedly doing becomes normal, feels normal. The Buddha's life was um, um, not always um, graced with successes. This is maybe less known because it comes from an incident that is recorded in the Vinaya, in the monastic discipline, rather than in the suttas. But the incident to which we owe the teaching of the Anapanasati Sutta, the Discourse on the Mindfulness of Breathing, has an interesting um, context. That context is that the Buddha was teaching to a group of monastics surrounding him uh, practices, meditative practices uh, on the unattractiveness of the body. And the community has, um, some of the members of the community have misunderstood this teaching and taken to a form of extreme self-disgust and, in fact, ended up killing themselves. A substantial number. Uh, So if you want to create problems for your meditation teachers, go into acts of self-harm and threaten to kill yourself. This is likely to produce dramatic results. So it may be comforting to know that even a fully awakened Buddha has had didactic mishaps and has experienced members of his community upon having wrongly grasped the meditation instruction to actually ended up killing themselves. So the Buddha goes away from his community and comes back and finds them reduced in number and he asks Ananda. And Ananda says what happened and uh, suggests it would be good if the awakened one was to give another meditation object. So. This is recorded in the monastic discipline. I haven't made that one up. Um, It has always been heartening for me to see with what fidelity this uh, monastic discipline transmits the most uninspiring and the most uh, unflattering situations around the Buddha's lifetime. It's always made me um, inspired great confidence in the validity of its teachings. Somebody who is willing to say so many unflattering things about its own tradition is uh, it's always interesting. It could have easily been edited out, and there would have been time in two and a half thousand years. So mindfulness of breathing as the form of meditation that is of the broadest applicability. I know of no real circumstance in which I would find that mindfulness of breathing is inappropriate as a meditation object. Breath is universal. Breath is um, something we always have with ourselves. If we, As long as we are uh, alive, we will be breathing. In fact, there are reasons why this particular meditation is so popular. One of them is certainly uh, that the breath uh, is a unique bodily function. I know of no other function that is both capable of being completely controlled by our voluntary nervous system and equally well functioning if we completely forget the breath. Now, uh, this little fact is something we probably owe our lives to, that we continue breathing even though we may forget it. I know of no other bodily function that is capable of being run by either or by the other nervous system so completely as the breath does. Every big tradition, every big culture has understood something of the breath as being the mediator between the mind and the body. Uh, the Greeks with their pneuma, the Indians and the Chinese, the Indians with their prana, the Chinese and the Japanese with their chi or with their ki. Every of those traditions has in some way understood that the breath is the vehicle that can help the mind to be modulated by the body or that it can help the body to be modulated by the mind. Fascinatingly enough, the frequency of breathing I think the statistics say something like 15 times a minute. Um, The frequency lies within the range that we can easily observe with our organism. This is an interesting facet of breathing which may not be apparent, but that makes it possible that we can actually very accurately monitor and engage with our breathing pattern. We can pick up, in the way our mind is neurologically wired, we can pick up that frequency quite well. We can quite subtly be in touch and engage with qualities of breathing. I couldn't do that with my heartbeat. Even though I can feel my heartbeat, The Uh, cardiologically interesting bits about my heartbeat are in a range I cannot feel. My sensitivity is not such that I could pick up uh, on a subtle uh, murmur or a subtle systolic aberration or something like that. I couldn't pick up on that. Simply by the way that this happens within a frequency that is out of my range of sensitivity. With the breath it's very different. Breath, quite quickly reveals to us how we feel. It reveals how much effort we currently are uh, in the process of doing. It reveals to us how much tension there is in our lives or in our bodies. It reveals how labored. um, It reveals how flaccid our tone of energy may be. The breath is infinitely Um, revealing of our state of being and uh, of our mode of being. At the same time it is so normal that we often find it difficult to actually engage with it and be in touch with it. One of the things we can do is that we we can approach meeting the breath, and to be more precise, we don't actually speak of meeting the breath, we speak of meeting the sensations associated with the process of in and out breathing. Yeah, that be more precise. One of the ways of meeting the breath is that we ask questions. Questions regarding certain qualities of the breath. This may seem obvious to you, but Consider it nevertheless a possibility to actually ask yourself that questions when you sit down. The obvious first question is the, uh, the depth of the breath. How far down into my body, into my trunk, into my belly, my abdomen do I actually feel this body be breathing? How far down? What is the lowest point in which breath is accessible to my immediate feeling, the sensations connected with breathing. It is no secret that the um, generally the the deeper I can sense my breathing, usually the more relaxed I am. It is no uh, secret that when I am in a hurry, when I am in a mentalized form uh, in a mentalized state uh, when I'm nervous, my breath the center of my breath will move upward so without trying to have that lowest point at a particular area it is nevertheless indicative of how I am I have a kind of objective feedback of how relaxed I just may be right now. Another obvious point is the frequency, the rhythm of my breathing sensations. Uh, In fact, this is referred to in the Anapanasati Sutta itself, the, the rhythm of my breathing. Do I breathe in long? Do I breathe in short? But rhythm is more than just length or duration. It is actually the rhythm in between the in and the out breath. And you may find that your in and out breath is by far not equal. Also, it may vary from sitting to sitting. So, just acquainting oneself with asking this question and then listening and what, listening deeply to what the breath tells us. you breathe through your nose, you might just casually ask yourself whether you breathe in through your left or through your right nostril, or predominantly through your left or through your right. Um, If your breath resembles mind, then it will change. Another good question to get more deeply intimate with one's own breathing sensation is to Ask for the tone of your breathing. Your breath may be flaccid, your, ble- your breath may be con- constricted or tight, you may have a labored quality, it may be deeply flowing in its quality. So we're asking for the tone. What is the tone of my breathing? Just asking this question will br- bring a quality of breathing to our awareness we may not habitually attend to. Another question is that we ask after the texture of our breathing. Imagine an in breath like a sort of an arc, an arch, yeah? And sometimes that in breath has jags, yeah, it's slightly something jagged. What my a musician friend of mine who plays the jello, when he has the tremor in his hand, he calls that he has a a toblerona stroke, yeah? a sort of jagged movement. So sometimes our in breath and sometimes our out breath um, shows signs of unevenness. It's not smooth. It's not silky. It may be silky for a good deal of the in-breath and then at the end it has a little kink. Or it may be something rather coarse. It may have a slight l- rasping quality to it. Whatever it is, one way of getting more intimate with one's own breathing experience is after asking, af- asking after the texture of one's breathing sensation. The smoothness or the hoarseness of it. and Finally, last, the fifth quality that may be of interest is just how strong is the resistance of the body to my breathing pattern? How much resistance does the breath have to surmount to actually enter the body? How much work is it to return the breath Sometimes it is as if I'm sitting here and being breathed, and sometimes it is as if I have to suck and I have to pump it out, suck it in and pump it out. So it's a good way of gauging the resistance of your tissues, your rib cage, your intracostal muscles that are taking largely care of the breathing pattern. How much of that do I feel? How is it now? I don't expect you to use these questions as multiple choice questions or as kind of something to be answered by the correct type of breathing. But sometimes a genuine question opens up a little space. So behind that question opens up a space of deeper listening, deeper sensing, deeper intimacy with what I am trying to become more acquainted with. It is the continuity, it is the refinement of my awareness that is likely to guide my insights and that is likely to foster stillness of mind. Besides the immediate physiological uh, aspects of our breathing awareness. Uh, Obviously breath is is profound. It it is what connects us with other beings. A teacher of mine, not a meditation teacher, um, recounted the story of his three-year-old daughter coming to him with a starburst drawing and at each uh, point of the starburst drawing, there were human beings lying there. And she declared to him and says, we're all breathing the same air. You know, the little kid had understood that via the breath and via the act of breathing, she is connected with all other humanity. It's amazing little insight, isn't it? We're breathing air that which is not us becomes us and that which has been us is going out again. We share air even with our worst enemies we share the same air. On another other level, you know, breath and the patterns of breathing are very evocative in uh, other profound ways life teaches us. Breathing has a lot to do with accepting and with letting go, with letting in and with letting go what has been nourishing to us. So much of life teaches us exactly that lesson. We let it in, tentatively, we enjoy, we get nourished, we feel enriched by, and then if it so likes, it goes, it stops, ceases, moves on. And what has been dear to us and precious and nourishing, we have to let go. But not enough at that. We have to be prepared to let in again. Breathing teaches us that every moment. We don't optimize breathing. We don't maximize breathing, isn't it? We don't say, shortly because before 9 o'clock, Kokinchana did his perfect in-breath, that was it. It's something we keep repeating. In the breath, we also see the the, the characteristics in our dependency of the breath every single one of them, we recognize conditionality, we recognize the Dukkha aspect. We are contingent on our capacity to breathe. In the elementary nature of breathing, the impersonality of the elements that we exchange, uh, we recognize the impersonality as a characteristic of being, of existence, and in the coming and going of breath we obviously recognize the impermanence of things. So every conscious breath teaches us on so many levels about ourselves when we meet the breathing being here in its, in its particular state We recognize our interconnectedness in acknowledging that we share this breath with many, many beings. The nature of experience, when we recognize impermanence and impersonality and the conditionality in our experience of each single in-and-out breath.